The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cuba, freedom, appreciating what you have and wanting that for others. We're going to talk about all that tonight on I'm Right. Beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. What you're witnessing there is the people of Cuba flocking into the streets, protesting their disgusting communist government. They're tired of the shortage in medical supplies. They're tired of the shortage of food. And they are protesting in the street. And why is that awesome? Well, there are about a million reasons. But one, first and foremost, that takes guts. They're not in Texas They're not in Florida. They're not in South Dakota. They're in Cuba. Every single person you see in that video knows they risk their lives, their wealth, the lives of their family members, the lives of their children who come after them by standing in that street and protesting the government. That takes guts. That takes real courage. So before we get into all the rest of this here, let's just say this. Pray for the people of Cuba. Say a prayer, maybe right now, maybe after the show, say a bunch of them. Pray for the people of Cuba. They have lived under communist oppression for a long, 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 long time, and I want them to be free. Now, what does that mean, I want them to be free? Well, we don't need to get involved. 
certainly in no overt kind of way. If we want to throw a little cash here or maybe nudge something along here, that's fine. We need to do something that America hasn't done in a very, very, very long time and something America needs to start doing again. Mind our own business. America needs to vocally support the Cubans and then mind our own business. And I understand this need. I understand where we went awry with our foreign policy. There's this need because you have values. You do. I don't, but you do. Because you have values, when you see the downtrodden, you see the oppressed anywhere, you're tempted to do something or want to do something. Let them go earn their own freedom. We were founded. Our nation was founded. Go read George Washington's farewell address when he left. It was founded on leaving everybody alone. Bow your head, say a prayer for the Cubans where you can, where there are possibilities, and I will keep you updated on this as soon as I verify things, where there are possibilities to give charitably or privately, yes, do it. I plan on getting involved that, that way myself if the opportunities arise. Do we need to go sending the Marines into Cuba? Absolutely not. Allow them to go fight for and earn their own freedom. So what's happening? Well, the communists are cracking down on these protesters already. As we predicted, this always happens because the locals, uh, they're more than just chanting in the street. They're taking over the local communists' offices. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. Maybe this all gets crushed and cracked down by tomorrow. But when you're storming into the local communist office and taking control of it, that now has gotten into a whole new realm. You're deadly, deadly serious. I don't know that the Cuban government has the power to stop this as fast as they want this stopped, and they do want it stopped. How do I know that? They're shutting off the Internet. You're not going to see that many more videos floating around online about what's happening in Cuba because, like all communists, they decided to censor what you can see on the Internet. Does any of that sound familiar? Let's set Cuba aside for a moment. Does any of it sound familiar? When I say there are people out there who look and they say, hmm, <clears throat> I don't like that movement. I don't like the things they're saying. In fact, the things they're saying could be potentially harmful to my regime, the things I want. You know what? I think we'll make sure nobody can see it. I mean, not that that kind of thing would ever happen here, right? Not that a major publication like the New York Post would put out an absolutely damning article about the potential president's son and his dirty business dealings, and then everybody from the media to big tech would just decide that you're not allowed to see that information until after the election. What have I been telling you about America's communists? I've told you time and time and time and time again, and I'll tell you again. Don't think that the communists are just down in Cuba. They're right here. And if they had their way, you would never be allowed to see an opinion they don't agree with, and you certainly wouldn't be allowed to voice an opinion they don't agree with. You see what's happening with those starving people down there. Don't let it happen here. So anyway, their dictator, I'm sorry, president, Miguel Diaz-Canel called for the sympathizers of communism to get into the streets. 
he's openly calling pretty much for violence. The quote is, quote, the order to fight has been given into the street revolutionaries, he said. Well, that's funny. Into the street revolutionaries. So a political leader is encouraging people to get in the streets and commit acts of violence? I mean, again, thank goodness that could never, ever, ever happen here. It's not as if the vice president of the United States of America posted to her social media account a bail fund for the people who burned down Minneapolis. Getting uncomfortable now, isn't it? Getting uncomfortable now. Oh, and while I'm on the subject, before I move on to everything else here, those people are going to go to jail. A lot of those people you see, sadly, are going to go to jail. I hope not, but that's usually how these things go. They're probably going to go to jail for a long time without trial for a political protest that got a little too spicy. Thank goodness that kind of thing can't happen here. I don't know. Maybe you should talk to some of the protesters from the January 6th protest who are still rotting in federal prison. You know, things like that. Again, can't happen here. Where does the White House stand on all this stuff? Well, I'm glad you asked. The White House Assistant Press Secretary, Julie Chung, she had this to say by tweet, quote, peaceful protests are growing in Cuba as the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly to express their con- to express concern about rising COVID cases slash deaths and medicine shortages. We commend the numerous efforts of the Cuban people mobilizing donations to help neighbors in need. Then Twitter went out and also said it was about COVID awareness. What have I told you time and time and time and time again? You're probably already saying it because you know I'm about to say it to you. None of what you see is real. Nothing. Everything the system tells you is a lie. They lie, and then they lie about the lies, and then they lie about lying about the lies, and then they demand you say their lies are truths or they crack down on you. The Democratic Party, the media, Hollywood, professors, sports, America's corporations, you won't see them do what they would have done even 30 years ago, 20 years ago. See, 20, 30 years ago, Democrat Party and Republican Party would be vocally out there cracking down on the communists, rooting for these people. What you'll see now is a bunch of ignoring it or, it's about COVID. Did you get your vaccine yet? I hope you got your vaccine yet. If you didn't get your vaccine, everyone's going to die. We might mandate you're going to get the vaccine. We'll come door to door, as our own president just said recently. Senator Marco Rubio, I was happy to see him come out and actually take a stance on it. This is not just about COVID. Yeah, of course, COVID is the icing on the cake here because you've got a socialist regime that says to people, you have no freedom, you have no independence, you have no ability to speak freely, but you have a really good health care system. They don't. People are dying at their home in their homes. Their health care system is not this great system. And of course, COVID has a, pl- a role to play, but this began well before COVID. These people are frustrated. They want to live in a normal country. They don't want to have their kids getting on rafts and having to leave the country in order to lead normal lives. So why can't the State Department, why can't the White House just say it clearly? This is not about COVID. This is not about anything else. This is about freedom. Say it. 
they're going to lie. They're going to lie to you consistently about everything. We cannot let them lie. This is why we have to crack down on the right, right when the system starts to tell lies. I hate to bring up old stuff, but I'm going to bring it up, especially now. Right when the system decided COVID was going to slaughter millions of Americans and we all had to go home and kill the economy or everyone was going to die. It was the right who caved too. Republicans, conservative pundits, conservative politicians. Right when George Floyd died, 90% of the right, oh, the cops are racist, hunting down black men. Time after time after time, the right will surrender this narrative early on. The right cannot do this. You must, if you are on the right, you must be the one place people can go for truth, for real hard truths. And look, what do we get? I mean, what are we going to get in this country? Where are we at in this country? This stuff doesn't just take place in Cuba. Did you see what the FBI put up over the weekend? The FBI put up a tweet over the weekend telling you to report your family members. Quote, learn how to spot suspicious behaviors and report them to the FBI. Notice the little red characters in there too. You see, you need to become very, very, very worried right now if you're on the right, not just about Cuba. You need to be worried about your own country becoming Cuba because we are right there. There's no check on the left at this point in time. None. They have the House. They have the Senate. They have the presidency. They have half the Republican Party, if we're being honest. They have all the three-letter agencies who are spying on you and able to destroy your life. They have entertainment. They have education. They have sports. They have the corporations. They have half the churches. We are right there. And I'm telling you something right now. I know this may hurt, but hear me out. If you think these people in our country won't hurt you to get you to comply the same way they do in Cuba, you're very, very, very naive. Their entire communist religion is based on destruction and domination. If they're able to do so, these people will do anything and everything to you. Now, we have a great show for you tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about Afghanistan coming up. You see, some generals and some people responsible for Afghanistan have some strong opinions about us leaving Afghanistan. And as you may imagine, I have some thoughts. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Now let's talk for a moment about home title theft because so many people don't even know that it exists. The truth is, if you own a home, your home is actually your biggest financial vulnerability because of these cyber crooks. They're out there stealing home titles and ruining lives. Listen to this guy. Nobody thinks that I can take their house and borrow against the house. Oh, no, I have title insurance for that. No, it's, it's in my name. Or he would have to get some special document. They would call me. You know, nobody's calling you. After I've stolen the title, borrowed against it, or sold the property, or done whatever I've done with it, it's 60 to 90 days to even figure out that, that they're the victim of this crime. You know, by that point, you start getting foreclosure notices, and you realize you've got four mortgages on your house. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name. Don't let it happen to you. If it happens to you, they will evict you. Or you'll spend tens of thousands of dollars on lawyer fees, or you could just go get home title lock. 
They'll detect any tampering and shut it down like that. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Make sure, make sure you use the promo code RADIO that gets you 30 free days of protection. We'll be back. You know what the most necessary thing in the world is, while also oftentimes being the hardest thing in the world? Accountability. I hate it. I mean, for myself. Don't get me wrong. I'd love it for you and him and her and everyone else. Just not myself. There's a major screw-up, something I've done wrong. I'm a human being. I don't like looking in the mirror and saying, that's on you, pal. But accountability is necessary necessary. If I gain 15 pounds and turn into a wad of chewed up bubble gum, it's important that I take accountability for it myself. That's part of the frustration I have with Afghanistan. It's part of the frustration I have with all these scumbag politicians and these scumbag generals too. 20 years, 20 years of American blood and American dollars the architects of all of it, of all that failure, not one, not one has stepped up and said, you know, I got to be honest, kind of on me. If I had to do it over again, I would have done a lot of things differently. This is my fault. Not one has stepped up and said that. How was that possible? How is it humanly possible this many people can get away with this kind of massive failure and simply walk away? I saw HR, Mc this guy, HR McMaster said over the weekend, this is what he said, prospects of collapse in Afghanistan are increasing. The Taliban offensive in the north is to prevent a new anti-Taliban northern alliance. Many ANDSF forces are demoralized. SF and commandos are becoming exhausted. Yeah. Afghanistan's lost. We went there for 20 years to get Osama bin Laden and to get the Taliban who were harboring Osama bin Laden. After 20 years, we pulled out and the Taliban are taking over the country in about 35 seconds. Why is H.R. McMaster getting online complaining about the Taliban taking over? And why is he not getting online saying, ooh, you know, probably partially my fault. Look, I realize there's a lot of blame to go around. Looks like we didn't do any of the right things while we were there. Why do we never have that kind of accountability? Remember the cost? Remember the Afghanistan papers when they came out? I want you to remember this because it was shocking me because it was the Washington Post. Maybe the greatest piece of journalism ever and it got memory hold in about five seconds. Do you remember this? Two trillion dollars. That's the cost in Afghanistan. Two trillion. And that dump, 241,000 lives lost, 2,400 of which were American, over 20 thousand Americans wounded. When's the last time you were at a VA hospital? When's the last time you were at a VA hospital? I sadly pop in from time to time to do various things. You know what hit me? Because when I first got out of the Marine Corps, it was 2004. 
and I had to go to the VA. You always have to go for checkups and get things done. And you'd walk through the VA hospital, and everyone was old. All those old timers, you know, the great ones with the World War II vet hat on and the Vietnam vet hat on, and you go joke around with the old timers in there. Go walk through a VA hospital today. They're not all old anymore. A lot of them look like me, only they don't have legs. They're missing arms, horrible facial disfigurement. Some of them are paralyzed. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to blow you away with the gore or the cost. I'm saying this because don't all of those men and women deserve some accountability from the people who screwed it all up? I don't need platitudes from H.R. McMaster's on Twitter about how bad Afghanistan is. I know how bad Afghanistan is. It's been bad for, oh, forever. That's not news. What I want from H.R. McMaster, what I want from all of them, Bush, Obama, you name it. This is not Democrat or Republican. You know what I want from all of them? I want, give me one person who's man enough to step up and say, it's my fault. It was a mistake. It shouldn't have happened. I won't hold my breath, though. Now, speaking of accountability, I know timeshares are popular. Nothing wrong with that. Lots of good timeshare companies out there, but lots of really, really scummy ones, too. And so what I get a lot of by email is people telling me, Jesse, I got a timeshare. I can't get out of it. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I get that so much. And it, it was weird to me at first. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. People get embarrassed about bad business deals they've made or mistakes they've made. Forget about blame. Forget about blame. Get yourself out of it. If your timeshare won't let you out, if they're telling you things, oh, well, 10 years from now, maybe. Oh, sure. Just pay us three or $4,000. You don't have to put up with that. Newton Group Transfers is here for you. They're going to war with these timeshare companies and winning. Call 888-84-JESSE, that's 888-84-JESSE, or go to timesharejesse.com. You have help. Forget that embarrassment. 888-84-JESSE. All right. We got a lot more. We'll be back. In New York City, crime is out of control. It's at record levels with nobody being prosecuted except, of course, innocent Republicans are being prosecuted. The Democrats know their policies on crime are so unpopular, so radical, so crazy. They are now trying to pretend they never led the defund the police movement in the first place. This information. Joining us now to talk about that is Sean Sticks Larson. He's the author of the book Breaking Blue, Real-Life Stories of Cops Falsely Accused. Sean, thank you, one, for writing a book like this because it, it blows me away how quickly the anti-cop tidal wave swept through the United States of America last year. I, I understand people who have an issue with this incident or that incident. All that's fine. But it was, I know it wasn't universal. It felt universal. The country just decided the cops were the bad guy. It was the most bizarre thing in the world to watch. It was. And, you know, it's uh, it's been the topic to jump on for the past year. You know, the, the, the dislike the police has been the cool thing to do. Both in the public, we've seen it. Obviously, we've seen athletes, musicians, 
uh, actors and actresses, uh, politicians, um, you know, for their own their own agendas and things like that. But the book that I wrote actually had been completed just prior to COVID. So it's just coincidence we we're able to finally get it out after what's happened in the past year, but it actually had nothing to do with what had happened in the past year. Did you feel this back when, back when you were serving? Did you feel this as uh, an anti-cop sentiment rising, or is this something the media manufactured and then ginned up in everybody? You know, it, listen, I was a cop here in Tulsa for 24 and a half years, and my entire career uh, I've pretty much spent in what's called the northern portion of our city, which is primarily where our criminal street gangs and things like that. So for uh, those watching and listening, yes, we do have violent street gangs here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, we also have running water and the internet and so forth. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you, hey, trust me, it's it, people kind of laugh about it. But uh, Tulsa, and this is not something to brag about, but for populations under 500,000, which we're just under, we kind of historically rank as the number one most violent city in the country. And we beat some of these major uh, you know, cities as far as the number of homicides that happen each year. My day-to-day -day interactions out with people, I would say no. Um, you know, the, the bad guys that we deal with, the people that live in these communities that are plagued by that type of violence, they're grateful and appreciative that we're out there. The way the media has spun this thing, though, in the past year, and unfortunately, a lot of people, I think, are very, uh, they choose to be very uneducated, and they just jump on the bandwagon and roll with it. Sean, explain to me, I mean, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I am curious, why this about Tulsa? I mean, it's not, I mean, Tulsa is a big city. It's a great city, by the way. But it's, it's big enough to have some crime, but to have a worse problem than other cities its size, it, it is weird. It's freaking Oklahoma. Why? You know, I, I wish I had an answer for you. I don't know. Um, you know, one thing, if anybody watches, you know, Live PD, obviously, uh, you know, was a huge hit. Uh, Tulsa Police Department was featured on there. The first 48, which still, still airs to this day, it features our homicide unit uh, fairly regularly. And we actually have one of the highest, uh, you know, homicide solve rates in the country. I think we average like 92 or 94% a year, which is, you know, if you look at the national average, I mean, it blows it away. Um, but it's the same type of thing that happens in any other city. You know, you've got a, a lot of bad guys out here that manage to get, the, get firearms in their hands. And small little disputes turn into shootings. Um, you know, I think just last night here in Tulsa, we had four different people shot overnight. So it's just, uh, it's a daily deal, unfortunately, in a lot of these cities across the country. Well, Sean, you're not alone because I'm looking at murder rates here. Portland's up 336%. Minneapolis up 45%. Atlanta's up 36 Philly 35 LA 24 and Sean, it's not just—it's not just the percentages up, because you could—you could maybe argue that okay, well, that's going to happen after a year of this idiotic defund the police stuff. So it's not just that for me, Sean. It's that these cities don't look like they're reversing course. It looks like they're circling the drain pretty fast. Yeah, you know, and obviously there's been a lot of conversations about the number of police officers that are leaving the profession right now for one reason or another. Uh, you know, like I said I myself just retired, I think, seven weeks ago, and. The more we keep seeing that happen, the more officers that are walking away from this job, because when I first came on, you know, obviously there's a fear of physically being hurt or killed. But, you know, I know you yourself served in the Marine Corps. You can't do these type of jobs having that fear in the forefront of your mind. You just, you just can't. Is it there? Of course. So we're not fearful today of getting hurt or getting killed in the line of duty. We're fearful of being that guy that has his name smeared across the media, passed through social media, that people are threatening your family, 
uh, and so forth, because you did, you were involved in an incident that you were still 100% justified, yet people are still protesting. You know, athletes are putting your next and putting a picture of you out there uh, when you've done an amazing job. So it's a, it's a really tough time right now. The surging crime rate that we're seeing, unfortunately, I think we're going to continue to see it for a few more years um, until it finally makes that turn and people have just had enough. And then they get back behind law enforcement. Some of these cities that are suffering will start putting money into hiring guys again and getting them back out on the streets. Sean, a concern I've had, you brought up the retirements. A concern I've had, and please tell me if I'm wrong on this, is that who's, who you're going to lose are the best officers, the smart, talented people, because smart, talented people have options. They don't have to get dragged through the mud every day, and you're going to be stuck with a bunch of big city police departments that are full of turds, either inexperienced rookies or losers who can't do anything else, and then you are going to have a corrupt, bad police department because all the talent left. Absolutely. Uh, you know, in, in, in addition to the people leaving, again, I know it's been talked about, but the difficulty that this profession is having right now getting people hired. Um, you know, here in Tulsa, yeah. we required a bachelor's degree since 1997, and we were actually the first large city that did require that. Um, and not to say a bachelor's degree makes somebody a better, uh, you know, police officer than anybody else, but because we require a degree, it's a smaller pool that we can pick from. We have a sales safety tax here that allows us to run three police academies a year. The last academy, they had 12 qualified candidates for academy class of 30. Oh. And so they decided oh. not to have the academy. And, you know, they're putting it off now until around the first of the year. And that type of thing, again, it's happening across the country. Um, you know, whereas at one time you're taking that top 5% of applicants are going to be the guys that get into a police academy just to fill vacancies now. It's dropping down in that 30 and 40%. And so, like you said, you're going to have people that I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say shouldn't be in the profession, but they're not the most qualified that are getting in. And you're going to start to see that happen. How'd you get the nickname Sticks? Man, I don't know if we're a family-oriented show here. Uh, it's uh, I did a ride We are. Keep it okay. PG. Well, okay, we'll, we'll keep it PG. When I was doing my internship with the police department, I was a college kid here in Tulsa, and I rode every Friday and Saturday night with these guys in a unit called Footbeat, which kind of handled the drug and gang problem in the projects here in Tulsa. And I was 21 and real, co real cocky, and uh, they got in a car chase. A guy bailed out of the car they were chasing. Again, I was a college kid. I had a ballistic vest underneath a T-shirt and a flashlight, and I jumped out of the car and chased this guy down, this gangster. And I ended up tackling him. One of the other officers caught up to me and uh, told me good job, but he said, you can't do that bleep stick. So uh, basically, <laughs> not a good name to carry me through the rest of my career, so they kind of modified it. Once I got on the police academy, uh, the same guy was one of the firearms instructors, and he started just calling me sticks. So that's kind of where it came from. Yeah. The book is called Breaking Blue, Real-Life Stories of Cops Falsely Accused. Sean, I want people to buy the book, but please give me at least one of these stories. Man, first of all, I've got my own story in there. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that. It takes up pretty much a third of the book. But back in 2010, there was a police corruption investigation here in uh, Tulsa. And all these bad guys were basically being told by FBI agents, U.S. Attorney's Office, hey, if you've got information on cops or you know about a dirty cop, we can either, one, dismiss your case or even get you out of jail for guys that were in jail or in prison. So bad guy mentality, these guys lie on their on, on everybody. Uh, they started just dropping officers' names, and lo and behold, these guys started getting released from prison left and right, and my name got drugged through the mud. 
come court, I was actually never charged. I was labeled as an unindicted co-conspirator. Um, but my name got dragged through the media, and these guys that lied about it, it was completely blown out of the water once they ever took the stand, and there was no repercussions for it. Um, that's a major problem, you know, that I see going on across the country. If a cop makes a Scribner's error in a report or says, hey, you know, the guy was going 55 and his dash cam shows 50, they're accusing these cops of being liars, and they're getting drugged through the mud, whereas we have bad guys lying about the police all the time, and they're not held accountable. Uh, but another one that really stuck out was there was a cop that was convicted of a murder for a woman he was having an affair with. He denied having the affair. There was no physical evidence that tied him to the scene. He still gets convicted in a trial and spent seven years in prison until the actual murder came forward on his own because he felt bad that this guy was in prison. Um, so the book is filled with different stories. Cops I've spoken to across the country uh, from one extreme to another where they've been falsely accused of something that they did not do wrong, yet nobody's held accountable. Sean Sticks Larson, his book is Breaking Blue, Real-Life Stories of Cops Falsely Accused. Highly recommended. Sean, thank you, sir. Thank you, Professor Jesse. Have a good one. All right. I want you to carry a weapon. I want you to legally carry a weapon. How many times have we talked about this? I want you to first and foremost, always learn to use your weapon safely. Safely. Safety first. Second, practice. Get good with your weapon. Get to the range. Get some professional training. Practice, practice, practice. Third, please don't treat your holster like a pocket. Don't go to a big box hunting store and buy one of the mass-produced holsters on the shelves. These things wear down over time. They break when you need them most. Get a custom holster from Northwest Retention Systems and... Northwest Retention Systems has the best designs out there. You should see their 1776 holster. Highly, highly recommend it. Go to nwretention.com. That's nwretention.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE for 10% off. We'll be back. Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no... Kinkos, there's no office max near them. People have to understand that when we're talking about voter ID laws, be clear about who you have in mind and what would be required of them to prove who they are. Of course, people have to prove who they are, but not in a way that makes it, them, it almost impossible for them to prove who they are. These people are so dumb. Joining me now is my buddy Hal Lambert. He is the CEO of Point Bridge Capital, also the former Ted Cruz National Finance Chair. Hal, I have so much I could say about that, but is she not just the worst politician ever? I mean, I can at least respect that Barack Obama was a good politician, Bill Clinton was. She sucks. No, she's not very good, is she? I mean, I love I love all of a sudden the concern for rural voters, right? I mean, the rural yes. voters voted for Trump. So now all of a sudden she's very concerned about Trump voters. I mean, give me a break. All this really is, is any type of voter identification 
that makes it difficult to mass produce uh, ballots and harvest ballots for mass uh, voting by fraud effectively, they're gonna be against. So if you have to write a driver's license number on something, if you have to do any kind of something that makes it more difficult to ma create massive amounts of voter harvesting or ID, you know, ballot harvesting, that's they're going to be against it. That's it. And by the way, uh, it shows how out of touch she is to say that rural voters would have to go to an office max. I mean, first of all, you can get photos at Walmart. All right. And in fact, you don't even have to go into Walmart. You can upload your photo and have it printed and mailed to you for nine cents, Jesse. It costs nine cents to get a photocopy at, at uh, Walmart, and you don't even have to go into the store. So she doesn't even know what she's talking about because she's completely out of touch with almost all parts of America. How I need you to explain this to me because you're obviously a, a very successful man in the private business world. So many of these people, like especially the D.C. and New York people, how do they get that out of touch? You and I have hung out together personally multiple times. You're not. You're not exactly, you know, some uh, uh, out-of-work bumpkin. Why are they that out of touch? Do, do, do they never talk to a real person? I think they never really talk to real people. I mean, they're surrounded by handlers. Uh, I mean, you know, Joe Biden's been in, in the swamp now for 50 years, uh, you know, and then when yeah. he got out of office for the brief period he wasn't in office, what did he do? He, all he did was travel around and get paid to give speeches. And, and, and I mean, it's just not real work. It's not real world. They're not having to do anything. They're not creating jobs. They're not doing anything like that. So they are completely out of touch. And, and I, it is a good question. How does it happen? Uh, I, I think it just happens because they choose to let it happen that way. They think by going to a town hall and spending, you know, 20 minutes with the people to answer some questions that that keeps them in touch with reality when they're not. I mean, she probably hasn't been into a store to buy a product in a decade. Kamala Harris probably hasn't gone into a store to buy a product in a decade. Okay, look, uh, obviously taking politics out of it, but for anybody, because I know we have a bunch of successful people who watch the show, uh, being in a bubble and being out of touch is death for any business or politician. How do you avoid it? Well, I have, you know what? I have a lot of the same friends I grew up with. I grew up, I grew up in a middle-class background and I still have the same friends that I grew up with and I have new friends as well. But I, you know, I just make it a point to, to know what's going on. And I, I'm very involved with being out where, where normal people go and normal people do things. So I, I choose not to remain in a bubble. And by the way, I do also realize when I'm at certain places that it's not the real world. I mean, I, I know when I'm in an environment where it's a lot of wealthy people and there's and there's a situation at, you know, at a beach hotel resort, that's not the real world. That's not real America. And I'm very aware of that. Okay, I, I do want to play this clip of Donald Trump hammering on Joe Biden. Watch this. Who would have thought this could have happened? Even Bernie Sanders is saying, I never thought this could happen. He's mild by comparison. In a matter of mere months, Joe Biden has brought our country to the brink of ruin. Right here in Texas, we are the epicenter of a border and migration crisis unlike anything anyone has ever seen before in the history of our country. At the same time, they have totally obliterated your energy industry. I told you. How? He's right. He did tell us. A lot of people were saying that. I know you were saying that. I certainly was as well. My question to you is the American people. Do you think there are middle-of-the-road voters out there who voted for Joe Biden and are genuinely 
taking accountability for it? Well, I think they may be secretly taking accountability uh, in their own mind. I don't know if they're going to publicly say that they're that they made a mistake, but I think we're going to see the midterms, uh, you know, rebound back to the Republicans. So you're going to see that people did do admit they made a mistake voting for Joe Biden because look, the border is a crisis. And, and you know, we we're talking today earlier. They were, they were talking about Fauci and all these groups saying that you know, uh, CNN had someone on saying you've got to punish these people that don't get vaccinated. And people see the hypocrisy in that because you're letting hundreds of thousands of people come across our southern border, and you're not worried about vaccines. You're not even testing them. You're releasing them into the country. We're gonna have over a million people released into the country from all over the world. They're sneaking in through Mexico, and we're not we're not worried about the vaccine down there. We're not worried about uh, testing down there, and all of a sudden they're going to punish regular Americans. They won't be able to go to school. The kids won't can't go to school unless they're vaccinated or you can't uh, do certain activities. That's what they're starting to push for now. So I think people are really going to push back on this. And you know, as as Biden uh, continues to be a disaster in his policies, it's going to become more and more apparent. We're seeing that with the defund the police, where they tried to turn around and say it was Republicans that were wanting to defund the police. Everyone knows this skyrocketing crime problem that's happening in these cities is because of Democratic policies. And they're now panicked and they're trying to, the Democrats are, they see it's a problem. And so they're trying to, to come out now and say different things that like they're not for that, they're, they're for law and order because they see the polling and the polling's going against them. How pretend that I just got to earth from the planet Pluto and somebody said the word cryptocurrency to me and I asked what it is. Explain to me what it is. <laughs> well, I, it's not, it's certainly not Superman with kryptonite, right? It's, but cryptocurrency is really a, a method of, of being able to tr trade uh, currency. It's, a, it's effectively a currency uh, and it's created in what's called the blockchain. So if you look at like Bitcoin is the main cryptocurrency. So the, there's a blockchain, which is an accounting mechanism behind it. And, and the computers that are used to solve the accounting mechanisms for the transactions that are done, they're, they're rewarded by Bitcoin. And there's a finite number of Bitcoin that are created uh, and that will ever be created. And then with that Bitcoin, you can then transact and purchase goods and services and you can trade in between uh, Bitcoin and currencies, other currencies, US dollar uh, and, and vice versa. So that's effectively what it is. It's a way to take the government out of the fiat currency business. So China is very upset right now with Bitcoin and has been cracking down on Bitcoin which is why you're seeing the you've seen the price drop some in the past you know two months, although it's still up quite a bit year to date. But China doesn't want to have uh, Bitcoin uh, compete against the currency that they want to have. China's goal is to have a global currency. They're creating their they want to create their own electronic version of a currency, but their goal is to control it. And and the governments around the world want to control the fiat currency. So you're going to see more and more pushback against Bitcoin uh, and other cryptocurrencies. But I think. The, the least the top ones, Bitcoin and Ethereum, are here to stay, and it's going to be very difficult to unseat them. How you said Republicans are going to take back the House in 2022, and I agree. Chances are real, real strong that happens. Are they going to be the right kind of Republicans? Well, you know, that's a good question. Uh, well, certainly President Trump is going to be very active in these primaries. So yeah. we're going to see if he can make a difference on some of the endorsements that he that he puts out there uh, in helping get some of the right kinds of Republicans in there. Um, but, you know, one thing I'll say on this is, which has always been very frustrating to me, if you look at our most conservative states in the, in the, in the country, especially on the Senate side, we tend to have senators 
that are not reflective of the of the conservativeness of their state and republicans tend to put up with that democrats would never put up with a moderate democratic senator in the state of california or a moderate democratic senator in the state of oregon or in in massachusetts but yet we put up with that in some of our most conservative states. Utah is a perfect example where you have Mitt Romney as the senator who's clearly on the moderate left side of things. Uh, and you know, so that's the, that's the thing that frustrates me is the Democrats seem to consolidate, get behind the right people in their states that can win. And we on the other side don't tend to do that. We tend to um, have this more of a swamp type version of, of Republicans elected in many cases. Hal Lambert, thank you so much, my man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Not just Republicans. Either it's the right kind of Republicans or it doesn't matter. Get involved in your primaries. All right, lighten the mood next. All right. It's time to lighten the mood. I'm going to show you a video here. This is, it's somebody close to someone on the staff here at I'm Right. I'm just gonna leave it there. Not gonna name names or say relationships, but this is somebody swimming in floodwaters. All right, one that's funny with the music behind it too. Let's let's talk for just a moment. I've been through floods. I, I don't know why, I'm just a magnet for natural disasters. I've been through more hurricanes and typhoons and floods and things, I, I, more stuff than you can imagine. Don't swim in floodwaters. I know, believe me, I've been a young man myself too. I know how tempting it is to look out your home and see the, the three feet of water in the street. And you're thinking to yourself, I can get in there. When areas flood, the sewer floods too. The sewer that's under your ground, the sewer floods too. You're not swimming in rainwater. You're swimming in poop water. Don't swim in floodwaters. And go get a hepatitis check if you have. I'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.